G'day one, g'day one, g'day all. Welcome to another episode of Strange Days. Now on this one, I'm going to do a bit of um, Pim Vam Lamel. It's the mystery of perception during near-death experiences. Quite an interesting chap. And um, I really like all this sort of information he puts forth. Um, if you'd like, obviously you're listening to this after. Um, if you'd like his book in, um, I've got a two megabyte PDF format of Consciousness Beyond Life by him as well. Um, request that and I'll get you the book through. Just send it in the chat or if you're on Telegram, PM me under South Osman or on Discord. Send me a, your Discord name and I'll try and get it through to you that way. Because so I'm not sure if it will go through in an email during because of the size. Things are getting a little bit smaller out there. All right, welcome to the room, mate. Welcome all. And I'll, um, without any further ado, let's get into it. Interesting discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very pleased well, presentation. to have the opportunity to discuss here today my concept of non-local consciousness based on scientific research on the death experience, NDE, in survivors of cardiac arrest, and especially to discuss into more detail the mystery of perception during such an experience. A near-death experience or an experience of enhanced consciousness during a period of apparent coma still give rise to many unbelieving and critical questions, especially by physicians and neuroscientists. But as already one century ago, William James has said, to study the abnormal, is the best way of understanding the normal. How can it scientifically be explained that people can have clear memories or even verifiable perceptions from a period of obvious unconsciousness? In my recently released book, Consciousness Beyond Life, The Science of the Near-Death Experience, I write in many more details about my ideas about non-local consciousness than I can explain here today in my lecture. But I also realize that many aspects of consciousness and perception are still a great mystery. First, I would like to discuss some of my ideas about the relationship between consciousness and the brain. And I realize that my approach will be new or unexpected for most neuroscientists, and that my conclusions will not always be in conformity with the currently widely accepted naturalistic paradigm in Western science. Important questions for me were, how was consciousness related to the integrity of brain function? Is it possible to gain insight in this relationship? How is it possible that sometimes patients can report enhanced consciousness when they are unconscious under general anesthesia during surgery? Could there be still consciousness when someone in coma has been declared brain death? by his neurologist that a procedure of organ donation should be sought, or when someone is clinical dead during cardiac arrest. By asking these questions, my interest in Eddie started in 1969 during my rotating internship. The patient was successfully resuscitated in the coronary carrier by electrical defibrillation. In those days, this was all new and exciting for us. We mostly do not realize anymore that until 1967, only 45 years ago, 
All patients with cardiac arrest died because of model resuscitation techniques like defibrillation and external chest compression were not yet available, only 45 years ago. But this patient regained consciousness after a period of uh, unconscious of about four minutes. We as a resuscitation team were of course very, very happy. But the patient seemed to be very, very disappointed. He told me I was going through a tunnel, seeing a light, beautiful colors, and hearing music. I have never forgotten this event, but I did not do anything with it. And in that time, I did not know that in human history, the same experiences have been told in many cultures, and many times, and many religious, as shown in this painting from 1480 by the Dutch painter Euronymous Boss, showing deceased people escorted through a tunnel to the light. And only years later, in 1975, Raymond Moody first described these so-called near-death experiences, and only in 1986, I read about these experiences in the book by George Ritchie, entitled Return from Tomorrow, which relates what he experienced during a period of clinical death of nine minutes duration in 1943 during his medical study. And after reading this book, I started to interview my patients who had survived a cardiac arrest. And to my great surprise, within two years, 12 patients out of 15 survivors of cardiac arrest in the past told me about their NDE. For me, it all started with scientific curiosity, because according to our current medical concepts, it is not possible to experience consciousness with the possibility of perception during a cardiac arrest when circulation and breathing have ceased. I grew up in an academic environment in which I had been taught that there is a reductionist and materialist explanation for everything, that it was obvious that consciousness was a product of a functioning brain. But now the phenomenon of near-death experience raised a number of fundamental questions. How and why does an NDE occur? How does the content of an NDE come about? How is it possible that patients can describe their own resuscitation or operation? I was unable to accept most of the answers to these questions because they seemed incomplete, incorrect, or unfounded. But first, what is an NDE or near-death experience? Near-death experience seems to be a re relatively regularly occurring. Sorry about that bipping in the background. I forgot to take off my me, um, me vibration thing. I thought I had my sound off. But um, thanks for sharing, Paul. Appreciate it. And to many physicians, an inexplicable phenomenon and hence an ignored result of survival of a critical medical situation. And he can be defined as a reported memory of a range of impressions during a special state of consciousness, including a number of universal elements, like seeing an out-of-body experience with theoretical perceptions, pleasant feelings, seeing a tunnel, a light, deceased relatives, now, this goes on for another um, 32 minutes, and then I'll have an open line, and um, or I'll just continue to probably the top of the hour and um, pretty much shut it down at that, I reckon. Um, but, um, yeah, enjoy. I've got his book I mentioned in the beginning, if anyone would like his book.
Um, I can send you a PDF version of that as well. A life review on a conscious return to the body. And many circumstances have been described during which NER reported such as cardiac arrest, clinical death, shock after loss of blood, childbirth, coma following traumatic brain injury or stroke, near drowning, children, or asphyxia, but also in serious diseases not immediately life-threatening, during depression, isolation, or meditation. <coughs> so apparently you don't always need a non-functioning brain to report an NDE. The NDE is transformational, always causing enhanced intuitive sensitivity, profound changes in life inside, and the loss of the fear of death. And the death experiences occur with increasing frequency because of improved survival rates resulting from modern techniques of resuscitation. The content of an NDE and the effects on patients seem similar worldwide across all cultures and all times. However, the subjective nature and the absence of a frame of reference for this experience lead to individual, cultural and religious factors determining the vocabulary used to describe and interpret the experience. According to a recent at random poll in Germany and the USA, about 4% of the total population in the Western world should have experienced an NDE. So more than 9 million people in the USA, 600,000 people in the Netherlands, and about 20 million people in Europe must have had a near-death experience. Now, why do we physicians hardly ever hear to a patient tell about their NDE? What a big number. What a big number. Patients are so reluctant to share their experience with others by all the negative responses they get. You have to be open to hear about an NDE. Patients would feel that you trust them, that you can listen without any comment or prejudice. But for most physicians, the NDE is still an incomprehensible and unknown phenomenon. Once a conference was held about NDE in a university hospital with more than 300 people in attendance. And at the end of the conference, after several lectures about NDE, a man stood up and said, I am a cardiologist for more than 25 years, and I've never heard such absurd stories. This is total nonsense. I don't believe one word of it. Then another man got up in the audience and said, I am one of your patients. <laughs> I have had an NDE during cardiac arrest, and you would be the last one I would ever tell. <laughs> they feel exactly that these kind of physicians are not open to hear. So in 1988, we started a prospective study in 344 consecutive survivors of cardiac arrest in 10 Dutch hospitals, with the aim to investigate the frequency, the cause, and content of an NDE. This cartoon was published in a Dutch national newspaper when our study was published in the Lancet in December 2001. We wanted to know if there could be a physiological, pharmacological, psychological, demographic explanation why people experience enhanced consciousness during a period of cardiac arrest. And we additionally performed a longitudinal study with taped interview of all late survivors within the two and eight years following the cardiac arrest, along with a matched control group of survivors of cardiac arrest who did not report an NDE. 
And this longitudinal study was designed to assess if the transformation following an NDE is a result of having an NDE or just a result of the cardiac arrest itself. It was never been done on a prospective design. So the definition of clinical death was used for the period of unconsciousness caused by anoxia of lack of oxygen in the brain due to the arrest of circulation and breathing that happens during ventricular fibrillation in patients with an acute myocardial infarction. And during clinical death, patients have no breathing, no measurable blood pressure, no body reflexes, nor any brainstem reflexes. And these patients will ultimately die from irreversible damage to the brain if cardiopulmonary resuscitation, CPR, is not initiated within five to 10 minutes. It is the closest model to the process of dying. And in cases where memories were reported, we coded the experience according to a weighted core experience, experience index. And in this system, the depth of the NDE was measured according to the reported elements of the content of the NDE. And the more elements were reported, the deeper the experience was and the higher the resulting score was. What we found is that 282 patients, 82% had no recollection of the period of cardiac arrest, of the period of unconsciousness. But 62 patients, 18%, reported some recollection of the time of clinical death. And of these patients, 12%, 41, had a core experience with a score of 6 or higher, and 21, 6%, at a superficial NDE. And in our follow-up research into transformational processes after NDE, we found a significant difference between patients with an NDE compared with those without this experience. Patients with NDE did not show any fear of death. They strongly believed in an afterlife. Their insight is in what is important in life had changed, and they often experienced enhanced intuitive sensitivity. This process of transformation took several years to consolidate with periods of homesickness, depression, and loneliness. So it's also a trauma. Now, which elements of the NDE were reported? In our study, about 50% of the patients with NDE reported awareness of being dead or had positive emotions. About 25% of the patients had an out-of-body experience. 30% reported moving through a tunnel. About 25% had communication with the light or observed colors. About 30% of the patients had an observation of a celestial landscape or had a meeting with diseased relatives. 30% experienced a life review and 8% experienced a border. So in our study, all well-known elements were reported except a frightening NE, but I know personally patients who had a frightening NE. Now, what might distinguish the small percentage of patients who report an NDE from those who do not? We found to our surprise that neither the duration of cardiac arrest, two minutes or eight minutes, nor the duration of unconsciousness, five minutes or three weeks in coma, so the severity of anoxia of the brain, nor the duration of unconsciousness, so nor the need for intubation in uncomplicated CPR, nor induced cardiac arrest in electrophysiological stimulation in the cath lab had any influence whatsoever on the frequency on NDE. And as is not significant. Neither could we find any relationship between the frequency of NDE and administered drugs, fear of death before the arrest, nor foreknowledge of NDE, gender, 
religion or education, atheists or Christians, for this didn't matter at all. Several theories have been proposed to explain an NDE. However, in our first prospective study ever, it could not be shown that <coughs> physiological, psychological, or pharmacological factors cause these experiences during cardiac arrest. With a purely physiological explanation, such as lack of oxygen in the brain, most patients who had been clinical dead should report an NDE because all patients in our study had been unconscious because of lack of oxygen in the brain resulting from the cardiac arrest. However, only 18% reported an NDE. And why only 18% report an NDE after cardiac arrest is still a big mystery. Besides, it is a well-established fact that people without any lack of oxygen in the brain, like in depression or meditation, can also experience an enhanced consciousness. Another theory holds that the NDE might be a changing state of consciousness, or the theory of continuity, in which memories, identity, and cognition with emotion function independently from the unconscious body and retain the possibility of so-called extrasensory perception. In four prospective studies with identical study design, our Dutch study, which was the only study with statistical analysis, one study from the USA and two studies from the UK, about the same percentage of NDE was found in a total of 562 survivors of cardiac arrest. Bruce Grayson from the American study writes in his comment that no one physiological or psychological model by itself could explain all the common features of an NDE. The paradoxical occurrence of heightened lucid awareness a logical thought process during a period of impaired cerebral perfusion raises particular perplexing questions for our current understanding of consciousness and its relation to brain function. A clear sensorium and complex perceptual processes during a period of apparent clinical death challenge the concept that consciousness is localized exclusively in the brain. As Sampani and Peter Fennec from the English study write that the data from several NDE studies suggest that the NDE arises during unconsciousness. And this is a surprising conclusion because when the brain is so dysfunctional that the patient is deeply comatose, those cerebral structures which underpin subjective experience and memory must be severely impaired. Complex experiences such as reported in the NDE should not arise or be retained in memory. Such patients would be expected to have no subjective experience at all. And Penny Sartori from the other English study concludes that according to mainstream science, it is quite impossible to find a ex scientific explanation for the NDE as long as we believe that consciousness is only a side effect of a functioning brain. The fact that people report lucid experiences in their consciousness when the brain activity has ceased is, in her view, difficult to reconcile with current medical opinion. This lack of evidence for any other theory of NDE, for NDE, the concept this far assumed, but never scientifically proven, that consciousness and memories are produced by large groups of neurons and are localized in the brain 
should be discussed. How could a clear consciousness outside one's body be experienced at the moment that the brain no longer functions during a period of clinical death, even with a flatline EEG, and I'll come to it back later. Furthermore, even blind people have described veridical perceptions during an out-of-body experience at the time of their NDE. Scientific study of NDE pushes us to the limits of our medical and neurophysiological ideas about the range of human consciousness and the mind-brain relation. I would like now to discuss into more detail the out-of-body experience, OBE, during NDE. In this experience, people have veridical perceptions from a position outside and above their lifeless body. The NDEs have the feeling that they have apparently taken off the body like an old coat. To this surprise, they appear to have retained their own identity with the possibility of perception, emotion, and a very clear consciousness. The range of vision can extend to 360 degrees with simultaneous detailed and bird's eyes views. And even people blind from birth have reported veridical perceptions during NDE and OBE. This out-of-body experience is scientifically important because doctors, nurses and relatives can verify the reported perceptions. They can also corroborate the precise moment the NDE with OBE occurred during the period of CPR. In a recent review of about 100 corroborated reports of potentially verifiable out-of-body perceptions during NDE, Jen Holden has found that about 90% were completely accurate. 8% contained only some minor error and 2% was completely false. And this proves that an OBE cannot be an hallucination. Because this means experience of perception that has no basis in reality, like in psychosis. Neither can it be a delusion, which is an incorrect assessment of a correct perception. Nor is it an illusion, which means a misapprehensive or misleading image. Moreover, one needs a functioning brain for experiences, hallucinations, delusions and illusions. Additionally, OBEs with theoretical perception from a position out and above the body have never been induced, despite mentioning this in medical literature because only bodily illusions were induced by inhibition of special areas of the cortex, but never theoretical perception from a position out and above the body. This real OBE is clearly shown in the drawing of a six-year-old girl who nearly drowned and was resuscitated in the hospital. In, an, in the United States. And in the drawing you see a happy and smiling girl up here watching her own resuscitation with many correct details like the external chest compression, etc. Doctor standing here. People from six, children six years don't know exactly how to resuscitate people. And this is the report of a nurse of a coronary care unit. During night shift, an ambulance brings in a 45 years old cyanotic, comatose man into the coronary care unit who was found in coma about 30 minutes before in a meadow. When we go to intubate the patient, he turns out to have dentures in his mouth. I remove these upper dentures and put them onto the crash cart. And only about an hour and a half, the patient has sufficient heart rhythm and blood pressure, but he is still ventilated and intubated and he's still comatose. 
is transferred to the intensive care unit to continue the necessary artificial respiration for one week because it's another one week in coma. And after more than one week in coma, do I meet again with a patient who is by now back on the cardiac ward? The moment he sees me, he says, oh, yes, you know where my dentures are. I'm very, very surprised. And then the patient elucidates, yes, you were there when I was brought into hospital. You took my dentures out of my mouth and put them on the, to that cart that had all these bottles on it. And there was this sliding drawer underneath. And there you have put my, my teeth. I was especially amazed because I remember this happening while the man was in deep coma and in the process of CPR. It appeared that the man had seen himself lying in bed, that he had perceived from above how nurses and doctors had been busy with the CPR. He was also able to describe correctly and to detail, and to detail the small room which he had been resuscitated, as well as the appearances of those present like myself. So it was the OB during cardiac arrest. And then, then you have somebody who was colorblind. I saw the most dazzling colors, which was all the more surprising because I am colorblind. I saw beautiful landscapes, meadows, mountains, and flowers. I can distinguish, distinguish primary colors, but pastels all look the same for me. But certainly I could see them all, all kinds of different shades. Don't ask me to name them, because I lack the necessary experience for that. And then here's an account of a patient who had an ED with an out-of-body experience caused by complications during surgery. So it was on general anesthesia as well. No, I'd never heard of near-death experiences, and I'd never had any interest in paranormal phenomenon or anything of that nature. What happened was that I suddenly became aware of hovering over, over the foot of the operating table and watching the activity down below around the body of a human being. Soon it dawned on, on me that it was my own body. So I was hovering above it, above the lamp, which I could see through. I also heard everything that was said. Hurry up, you bloody bastard, was one of the things <laughs> I remember them shouting. And even weirder, I didn't just hear them talk but I could also read the minds of everybody in the room. That's deep. Or so it seemed to me. It was all quite close, I later learned, because it took four and a half minutes to get my heart, which had stopped. That's a new one, Freedom. I haven't heard actually hearing their thoughts. That's interesting. That's a first, I think. Going on again. As a rule, oxygen deprivation causes brain damage after three, or three and a half minutes. I also heard the doctor say that he thought I was dead. Later he confirmed saying this, and he was astonished to learn that I'd heard it. <laughs> I also told them that they should mind their language during surgery. <laughs> Classic. Next up is the account of Ficky, a woman who was born blind. She was born extremely premature in 1951, after pregnancy of only 22 weeks, and immediately placed in a very primitive incubator, and administered 100% Oxygen. This is the one that I've been wondering about too. He's brought up about the blindness. I was only forget who I was talking to the other day about it. I was um oh, I can't remember now. 
And I was mentioning this actually, so I'm glad you brought it up. I was wondering, did they actually see in these sort of situations, you know, he's going to bring it up obviously here, blind from birth. Such a high concentration of oxygen damaged the development of the eyeball and the optic nerve, which doctors were not aware of in the early days of the incubator. Vicky suffered complete atrophy, withering of the eyeball and the optic nerve, and the visual cortex also failed to develop to develop uh, properly. And in 1973, when Vicky was 21, for 22, she was hurled out of her car in a traffic accident. A basal skull fracture, a severe concussion, left her in coma, and she had fractured neck and back vertebrae and a broken leg. She caught a brief glimpse of the car wreck from above. As a blind woman, she could see and recognize the smashed Volkswagen van. And later in the emergency room where she had been taken by ambulance, she was able to see from above a body on a metal gurney. She also spotted two people and could hear them talking and expressing their concern. It was only when she recognized her wedding ring, which of course she knew only by touch, that she realized that it was her own body. And after he had gone up through the ceiling, she saw the roof of the hospital and trees. Quote, I have never seen anything. No light, no shadows, no nothing. A lot of people ask me if I see black. No, I don't see black. I don't see anything at all. And in my dreams, I don't see any visual impressions. It's just taste, touch, sound and smell. But no visual impression of anything. The next thing I recall, I was in Harborview Medical Center and looking down at everything that was happening. And it was frightening because I'm not accustomed to see things visually because I never had before. And initially it was pretty scary. Then I finally recognized my wedding ring and my hair. And I thought, is this my body down there? And, I, and I'm dead or what? They kept saying, we can bring her back, we can bring her back. They were trying to frantically work on this thing that I had discovered was my body. And I felt very detached from it and sort of, so what? And I was thinking, what are these people getting so upset about? Then I thought, I'm out of here. I can't get these people to listen to me. And as soon as I thought that, I went up through the ceiling as if it were nothing. And it was wonderful to be out there and be free, not worry about bumping into anything. And I knew where I was going. As I was approaching this area, there were trees and there were birds and quite a few people, but they were all like made out of light and I could see them. And it was incredible, really beautiful. And I was overwhelmed by that experience because I couldn't really imagine what light was like. But then if deceased acquaintances of relatives are encountered and seen in another worldly dimension, they are usually recognized by the appearance and communication is possible through thought transfer. Quote, During my cardiac arrest, I had an extensive experience, and later I saw, apart from my deceased grandmother, a man who looked at me lovingly, with whom I did not know. More than ten years later, at my mother's deathbed, she confessed to me that I had been born out of an extramarital relationship, 
or father being a Jewish man who had been deported and killed during the Second World War. And my mother showed me his picture. The unknown man that I had seen more than 10 years before during my NDE turned out to be my biological father. True. So I have to come to the surprising conclusion that in our study during cardiac arrest, all these reported perceptions during NDOB were experienced during a transient functional loss of all functions of the cortex and of the brainstem with a flatline EEG. But how do we know that the EEG is flat in those patients with cardiac arrest? And how can we study this? So many studies with induced cardiac arrest, both in human and animal models, cerebral function has been shown to be severely compromised during cardiac arrest with complete cessation of cerebral flow, causing the clinical findings of the sudden loss of consciousness, the loss of breathing, apnea, the loss of all body reflexes, which is a function of the cortex, but also the loss of all brainstem reflexes, like the gag reflex, the corner reflex, and fixed and dilated pupils. And the electrical activity in the cerebral cortex, but also in the deeper structures of the brain in animals, have been shown to be absent after 10 to 20 seconds of flatline EEG. And in an acute myocardial infarction, the duration of cardiac arrest in the coronary care unit is always longer than 20 seconds, usually at least 60 to 120 seconds. And in the hospital wards or in an out-of-hospital arrest, it even takes much longer. So all 562 survivors of cardiac arrest in the four prospective studies must have had a flatline EEG. Well, this conclusion is often called impossible and unscientific. The quite often proposed objection that a flatline EEG does not rule out any brain activity because it is mainly a registration of the electrical activity of the cerebral cortex this is the mark. The issue is not whether there is any brain activity of any kind whatsoever, but whether there is a measurable brain activity of the specific form regarded by cont contemporary neuroscience as a necessary condition of conscious experience so with visible activities in many neural centers, the so-called global neural workspace. And it has been proven that there is no such specific brain activity at all during cardiac arrest. But how could the clear consciousness with the possibility of perception outside and above one's lifeless body be experienced at the moment that the brain no longer functions during a period of clinical death or coma, when patients are apparently unconscious or even under general anesthesia? In my recently released book, Conscious Beyond Life, which was a bestseller in the Netherlands with more than 100,000 copies sold within one year, I describe a concept which, in which our endless consciousness with declarative memories finds its origin in and is stored in a non-local realm as wave fields of information. And the brain only serves as a relay station for parts of these wave fields of consciousness to be received into or as our waking consciousness. The function of the brain should so be compared with a transceiver, a transmitter receiver or interface, exactly like the function of a computer. Different neuronal networks function for, as interface for different aspects of our consciousness. 
and the fiction of neuronal networks should be regarded as receivers and conveyors, not as retainers of consciousness and memories. In this concept, non-local consciousness is non-rooted in the measurable domain of physics, our manifest world. Our enhanced consciousness resides not in our brain and is not limited to our brain because our consciousness is non-local and our brain has a facilitating function and not a producing function to experience consciousness. In trying to understand this concept of interaction between non-local consciousness and the material body, it seems appropriate to compare it with modern worldwide communication. There's a continuous exchange of objective information by means of electromagnetic fields for radio, TV, mobile telephone or laptop computer. At this very moment, we are invaded by hundreds of thousands of telephone calls, by hundreds of radio and TV programs. But we only become aware of these electromagnetic informative fields at the moment we use our mobile telephone or by switching on our radio, TV or computer. And what we receive is neither inside the instrument nor in the components, but thanks to the receiver, the information from the electromagnetic waves becomes observable for our senses and hence perception occurs in our consciousness. Internet with more than one billion websites can be received at about the same moment in the USA, in Europe and in Australia and China and is obvious not located in our laptop nor is it produced by it. Conclusion. We have to conclude that we need a functioning brain to receive aspects of our non-local consciousness into our waking consciousness and to add information, information input from our sense organs and of our body into our consciousness. The brain functions as a transceiver or interface for this non-local consciousness. But who is seeing? The eye only receives electromagnetic informational waves with different wavelengths. It doesn't see colors. And the optical nerve only transmits electromagnetic information to the occipital lobe of the brain, causing activities in several parts of the brain as well. But still the question should be asked, who is seeing? The answer must be, not the eye and not the brain. The fact that somebody who is, has been blind from birth as a result of atrophied eyeball and atrophied optic nerve and who has an undeveloped visual cerebral cortex can nonetheless see people and surroundings during NE raises significant <coughs> questions. And moreover, when all functions of the cortex and brainstem have ceased during cardiac arrest, when the eyes are closed, or when the pupils are widened and not reacting to light anymore, and the EEG is flatlined, it sometimes happens that people can experience a clear consciousness outside their body with the possibility of theoretical perceptions out and above their lifeless body. However, this is possible according to our current medical knowledge. And all those reported and corroborated cases with theoretical perception during NE, the reception ability of the brain and the eyes was obviously lost. <coughs> the connection between the brain and consciousness was temporarily interrupted. But apparently, non-local consciousness with the possibility of perception still existed. So we don't need a functioning brain, nor a functioning eye, nor a functioning optical nerve to have perceptions. Is obviously 
we need a functioning brain to share with others this theoretical perception that occurred during cardiac arrest or coma. For me, it seems obvious that non-local consciousness itself is what that, that, that perceives, because it's only our consciousness that is determining how we perceive our subjective reality. Everything originates from consciousness. But how this perception is possible is still a great mystery. Thank you for your attention. And there we have it. That was um, Pim Van Lamel. And as I said, if you'd like his book, you're most welcome to request it. Consciousness Beyond Life on a PDF format. You know, I've, um, I've had that a couple of times in my life, I believe, that not a near-death but an out-of-body sort of experience. Probably the last one I had was about, hard to say, maybe five years ago. Probably a good five years. And... Um, I was laying in bed meditating and just a flat on my back and um oh sorry oh I thought I was on mute but I was looking at the other head above my head <laughs> Ooh, spooky and um, so, um I had this like train feeling like a train coming up from my feet and sort of like a a noise it was like a like a jackhammer you know uh, as it was coming up, and then I hit my brain, you know, and um, then, yeah, it was more in my brain, the sound. Next thing you know, I just like a crack, and it was on the floor next to the bed, a couple of feet away. And I remember looking up, and because um, of the angle, I couldn't see, but I thought, how the hell did I fall out of bed? And as I got to get back up, next thing you know, I'm laying back in bed. So that was the only thing that I thought was a bit trippy. And when I was a um, a youngster, probably about four or five, I thought I had a couple of experiences then. Um, another one which was interesting: my grand, uh, my uncle died, and I thought I'd actually seen him. And um, my mother swears that I didn't see him, but I explained to her exactly where he was. Apparently, I was supposed to be in bed um, because they'd found him and they wanted me to. Um, be in bed. I don't know if I was asleep or if I fell asleep or what. <clears throat> but I still to this day can remember the look of him, the paleness, where he was sitting and everything, the position. And I explained this to my mum and she swears to this day that I was in bed. So that was a bit of a trip. The only possibility is that I'd seen him before they had, which would make sense not on a paranormal scale, but that's a possibility to explain that but um they're about the only times i think i've ever come across those experiences there was another one i think it was on one of his other lectures actually um could have been someone else where i heard of a an out-of-body experience or before a near death that turned into a near death where she um she was in a car accident just before the car hit her she leaped out of her body and then pretty much died and they brought her back later so I've only heard one instance of that anyway. So I thought that was fascinating as well. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go for at least an hour. I might even go for an hour and a half. I'll just see where I go with this. So I'm going to sort of keep it on a bit of an out there sort of woohoo sort of scale as much as possible. And just a little bit of, you know, medical things or health things and to see where we go with it instead of political sort of 
information on that and keep it off that topic. This one goes really short, just a half a minute or so. Call it male feminization. Whenever you're adding all these chemicals, atrazine is the big one that's often studied. It's a, it's a herbicide. It's the second most used herbicide in North America. I don't know if you've heard of atrazine. Right. Yeah, it's in the drinking water. Totally illegal in Europe, by the way. They don't even allow it in Europe. It's crazy. And then in America, it's the second most used after glyphosate. But they'll call it male feminization. You give these animals atrazine exposures, and they're equal exposures to a lot of Americans. And, like, for example, uh, if you have a frog and you've got him in 200 nanograms per deciliter of atrazine, 200, that male frog turns female. Now you've got a female frog. But it's not just atrazine because you're, now you've got the plastic water bottles. Oh, and you've got all this fragrance and all these parabens rubbing it on your skin. Your skin is absorbing all this stuff. Oh, and now you've got, like, sunscreen chemicals, right? We haven't even talked about that, but oxybenzone in sunscreen by far the most widely used chemical in sunscreen. That's an estrogen endocrine disruptor. It acts like estrogen in your body. And they did a study. After I published my book, they did a study with oxybenzone. And one application of sunscreen, just one, seven days later, it was above the government's safety limits in people's blood. And that's just an adult with one application of oxybenzone. And some people are putting on their kids like oh, yeah. five days a week. Like putting on their face these like personal care products that brag about like keeping your face protected from the sun. Look at that! Isn't that disgusting? Look at that! Yeah, it makes you wonder. I have heard another study about that that goes into um, a bit about links between high estrogens and cancers as well, which is fascinating. Link, of course, many different cancers. There's no doubt about that. Um, just scrolling up a little bit, see what else I've got here. Anyone's welcome to call in too if you'd like to bring up anything. Just sort of going through some of my notes here and, um, yeah, just anything that might be a little bit out there. This one's a little bit sort of up that alley. It's, um, fake meat was supposed to save the world. It become just another fad. Beyond lost. <laughs> um, well, beyond meat and impossible foods, one or two append the world's one trillion meat industry but plant-based meat is turning out to be a flop beyond lost sales in almost every channel last quarter over the past year it laid off more than 20 percent of its workforce lost more than half of its sea suit and halted projects including vegan hot dogs um, the next alt protein frontier of the cell cultured meat According to people with knowledge of this matter, who asked not to be named, discussing private information about the company, Beyond stock price is now hovering around $16, down about 76% from a year earlier, and roughly 93% from its peak in the summer of 2019. Not looking too good, is it? Hmm. Um... This one here, no, that's a political one, I think. Just let me have a look at this. The minute we knew that Labor was in, oh, yeah. I'm going to go into the political stuff tonight. Thank you very much. <clears throat> Still going up here, just having a quick look at what we've got here. Um, what's on the monetary gains of a spiritual perspective? War is simply first human wash. All right, this is... um. It's called Dyson, or Dyson on Die. Um, I'm pretty sure this isn't political. Let's have a look at this. Yeah, this is interesting. This is about the goggles. They're called um, D-I-C-Y-A-N-I-N goggles. 
Um, it's about, if you're into this bit of a woohoo, it's about seeing um, other entities with these goggles. This one goes for six minutes. I find this sort of stuff interesting. Have a listen to this. Interdimensional goggles. A gunner Part in one. a helicopter would have no problem using these goggles. And only everything is showing up as a sort of a faint reddish image. And it was true night vision the way we have it now. And even a greater depth because you could also flip it and get an extra layer that was sort of yellowish that would be heat signatures as well. And they don't have those combined anymore in these goggles. Anyway, the goggles that were presented to the gunners, and my father tells the story of the very first time they're out with them, and they're flying along and he's in the front of the helicopter with the pilot. And all of a sudden, in a very peaceful area, not anything going on at all, the, the gunner in his, uh, on, the, on the starboard side of his helicopter starts firing wildly at their height, not at anything on the ground, but in an area that he was shooting at and basically causing other helicopters in their little flotilla to have to react. And, he, and my father goes on back to the, to the gunner, basically demanding, what the hell, dude? What are you shooting at? And the, and the kid is just sweating profusely, just, and his eyes are just dilated beyond belief. And my dad thought he was dealing with another heroin addict. But this was before it had gotten really bad in, in Vietnam, and the kid was not exhibiting uh, those kind of symptoms. He was reacting to what he had seen. And he's describing to my father that he was shooting at these basically flying demons that were flying alongside the helicopter. Interdimensional goggles. And part two. They were coming to get him because they were gesturing at him and they could see him. And so he reacted and he started shooting his Bren gun, uh, <coughs> you know, big 50 caliber slugs at these things, right? And they were flying along right next to the helicopter. So he's fly firing out directly from the helicopter and there are other helicopters in the vicinity. So it caused all kinds of problems. And this goes on repeatedly, week after week after week, every time they try to use these these night vision goggles at some point they encounter monsters true monsters now officers have been told not to wear these okay the, the pilots were told not to wear them and but my dad put them on to see what the hell was, was going on and to hear him describe it it was like like being in the worst kind of a demonic gothic hell that you'd look out at the tops of trees and you'd see these creatures with big wings and claws and everything come flying off the tops of the trees, but you take the goggles off and there's not even a disturbance in the, in the fog of the, the canopy of the trees, right? They're, they're, they're perceiving into an aspect of consciousness. Correct. Another dimension. And it was tied to the red image. As soon as, and so, as soon as they went to green, all of this kind of stuff disappeared. Of course. Of course. I'm not the time. Yeah, I know. Me? Studying Pythagoreanism and vibrations, we can speak a lot about this, but let's not even go there. Interdimensional goggles. Part three. Modern night vision goggles people used to see UFOs, third generation or whatever they're called. Is this the same technology? It's the same technology, it's just that the translation is, is done through a different uh, phase alignment, and we're not seeing everything that the goggles could show you. And, and they don't connect it to heat signatures either, right? Organic. They don't do that, and then they also don't do it with a red display. Now, the red red aspect of it is interesting because the, the green display comes from electrons, not photons, okay? And it comes from an electron transmission. Presumably, they were still doing electron transmission. They were just turning it into a red filter. That keeps it more material. Exactly. 
and and at this stage though in the in Vietnam when they introduced them it was there it was brief it lasted the whole project lasted about 60 days and then it was all canceled and they and mm -hmm. the people that of course it was all impractical correct correct i mean your flotilla is <laughs> shooting at each other right suddenly they had a new enemy <laughs> who needs ayahuasca <laughs> right <laughs> give me some red goggles man one of these goggles from your father no 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 that kind of stuff never happened my dad was he was at a level of the military where we had to be very concerned because he used to do CID, um, uh, internal uh, criminal <laughs> kind of investigations, right? Yeah. And so his uh, clearances and stuff were always checked. So he was a uh, by the book kind of. A That'd be fun at a party, wouldn't I? Concerned at that level. Interdimensional goggles. Tab, that kind Part of four. Because I was, I, I was ready to book a flight to Northwest uh, America now. <laughs> just well, apparently, apparently, we would not want to do this anyway because my father said that the single exposure, and in terms of him describing it, made you mad. The yeah. the single exposure mm -hmm. to the uh, goggles that he would put on that one time uh, had an uh, unsettling effect on him for several weeks afterwards. Right. And the people that wore the red goggles, the gunners, and these kind of people were or unstable at best for for months. Many of them were cycled right out of the out of yep. the war as a result of this experience. Yep, that so fits with the whole uh, Vietnam War anyway. You couldn't tell the difference. Everybody went crazy. Over right, right. But here, these guys had a real reason for doing it. <laughs> had a reason to go crazy. <laughs> and the radiation probably. But, I mean, imagine the energies letting loose in Vietnam at the time. No wonder that was uh, attracting uh, those kind of manifestations. You're right. Now, maybe the manifestations are there continuously, always around us, but they just don't disturb it's us. A, it's just a strata of reality, right? Right, yeah. right, because we don't see them, right. Mm. And see, so here's the thing. Indeed, if we're looking at automated kinds of systems and so on, there's nothing to say that... Um, Okay, uh, we use projectile weapons, but that's not the only way to think of uh, uh, fighting wars and uh, doing protective systems and so on. <clears throat> hey, wouldn't it be funny just for a bit of for a bit of a giggle, like if you're just sitting there and you just turn around more quick and go, "I can see you," and then just turn back? Wouldn't that trip them out if this is real? though, like in the spirit realm, <laughs> they're like, "The bugger, he seen me. He wasn't even looking. He knew I was standing there." Hey, wonder if the blue goggles you can see angels. That'd be an interesting study. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, Operation Paperclip. Ah, the last card. Yeah, this is a bit out there. Let's have a listen to the Operation Paperclip. This one doesn't go for very long. Um, I forget her name. The strategy that Bernard von Braun taught. Yeah, she goes. Oh, this is. Oh, that's right. This is Carol Rosen. She's been around for a while. Yeah, a bit about um, Werner von Braun. It was that first the Russians Only two are minutes. going to be considered to be the enemy. In fact, when I met him in 74, they were the enemy, the identified enemy. We were told that they had killer satellites. We were told that they were coming to get us and control us, the dirty commies, that whole story. First, the Russians were the enemy against whom we're going to build space-based weapons. They're always got to have then an enemy, don't they? would be identified, and that was soon to follow. We heard a lot about terrorism. Then we were going to identify third world country crazies. We now call them nations of concern. But he said that would be the third enemy against whom we would be needing to build space-based weapons. And the next enemy was asteroids. Now, at this point, he kind of chuckled the first time he said it. Asteroids against asteroids were going to build space-based weapons. So it was funny then. And the funniest one of all 
was against what he called aliens, extraterrestrials. That would be the final card. And over and over and over during the four years that I knew him and was giving his speeches for him, he would bring up that last card and remember now the last card. Aliens. Alien card. We're going to have to build space-based weapons against aliens. All of it, he said, is a lie. He didn't mention a timeline, but he said that it was going to be speeding up faster than anybody could possibly imagine. That the effort to put weapons in space was not only based on a lie, but would accelerate past the point of people even understanding it until it was already up there and too late. Yeah, plenty of aliens in my country at the moment. They're not little green people, though. Next on my little list. Yes, that was a slight bit of sarcasm. All right. I'll put that one up, actually. It's about... Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a taste just for a couple of minutes of what I put up on a couple of shows back. I'll put the whole thing up because it goes a bit long. Um, Antarctica Mysteries. Where parts of Antarctica are warming up in red, including where I was visiting in the northern tip of the Palmer Peninsula. And indeed, there was ample signs that the weather was changing, weather patterns were changing. But what's so remarkable, Mother Nature in her infinite wisdom has also (laughs) cooled down parts of Antarctica. What you're looking at in the two miles deep of, of the polar plateau of Antarctica is the largest amount of fresh water on the planet. If this continent were ever to melt and Antarctica would flow into the sea, then you would have catastrophic sea level rises. But in her infinite wisdom, Mother Nature has balanced it out. And that's why you have places like Miami Beach or Santa Cruz, California, where I was a year ago, still just right at sea level. All right, let's jump into it. Hey, Ellie. I am a cartographer myself. I draw maps uh, for several of my books, the Sacred Place series of books. And it's always that with cartography, you read a map. Yes, there are words on the map. Yes, there is uh, different aspects of a map in which we interpret right. the I'm going to skip mass. forward a bit, just giving you so a bit of a taste here and there on this one. <clears throat> if I don't stuff it up, which I think I did. Go on, you can do it. You can do it. You ain't going to do it, are you? Oh, well. I had faith the size of a mustard seed and it still didn't work, guys. All right. Well, anyway, I've got that whole presentation up. Whoops, screw that one. So, yeah, you can go back and have a look at that if you're into that. That was Antarctica Mysteries, the Early Mapping and Builder Race by Brad Olson. Interesting. Especially when it goes back to all the old maps and stuff like that. Another one I bought up by um, on my, I think, second last show, or the last one, was Caring for the Gut by Barbara. O'Neill, I think it was 1084. And I think that was pretty sure that was the last one I put up today. So that goes into all sorts of things about the gastrointestinal um, tract. And, you know, it's actually 26 feet long. 26 feet long inside you. 
It's a long bloody track. There's no doubt about it. Not another political thing. Staying away from political things. Thank you. Thank you very much. An uprising, huge farmer uprising in Germany. Oh, political, <clears throat> but still interesting. Now this is a little bit, and then it goes for about a minute and a half, I think. It's about the eyes, the colour of the eyes and changing colour. This is interesting. You get into green eyes, green eyes will change colours because green eyes do not contain the melanin, so they will actually transmute into different colours. So green will move to blue, and it'll start to change different shades based on what people wear, because there's no melanin in the eyes. So it will take on anything in which it's placed. That's why green eyes, they say, are one of the rarest eyes in the world. Only 2% of the world have green eyes. And if you think about green eyes, you think of like a chameleon. Things change. It's fascinating. And then when you meet certain people, look at their eyes and see if you just looked directly into them at the colors. Usually, depending on their eyes, you will already know that person too as well. Because the colors of the eyes will basically pick up from one person to another and you'll be able to depict them. It's interesting, like oh, anytime I meet somebody, I'm like, I feel like I already know you. I'll see their eyes and all of a sudden they'll have all these, almost like these beautiful colors in there that are just remarkable. And that's because what happens is we're picking up on more than just our body and our aura and our essence. You're picking up on your eyes, which are the windows of the soul. I think it's fascinating, like, when you when you look at someone, I mean, really look at someone. I've even picked that up on myself where you're sort of talking to someone, but you've never really actually made complete eye contact. It's a really... You sort of know when you've done it. You have this feeling inside you when you've actually perceived that you're, oh, I haven't actually, and then you look at them in the eye, and it's a whole new experience. It, it is it is so weird how we sort of use peripheral vision when we're talking to someone. We're not actually really looking at them in the eye. It's a hard to explain. It's a kind of a spiritual experience. It's like that connection hits, and it's like you can both feel it at the same time. I don't know if anyone's ever experienced that or experienced that in conversations or meeting people. Um, I've heard that many times. I thought, I haven't actually really looked at you in the eye, you know, and then you do, and it's like they both, it's like you both pick up on the, it's like you're both deliberately doing it at the same time, that sort of feeling. It's really weird. And it is an open line, guys. I'm just going through a few things, and um, not that I need anyone to call in to, to make up anything here, but um, it's just that, yeah. Just if you feel like there's anything you want to bring up or talk about, you're most welcome to call in. This one's interesting. It's nat natural planning. Another one that only goes for a little, well, probably half, half a minute, a minute. Have a listen to some of these good remedies for the garden. Soaking banana peels makes fertilizer. Watermelon peels create enzymes. Orange peels soaked are insecticides. Apple peels soaked make nutrient water. Beer makes soil loose and airy. Ginger water helps with yellow leaves and rotten roots. Soaking banana peels makes fertilizer. Watermelon peels create enzymes. Orange peels soaked are insecticides. Apple peels soaked make nutrient water. Beer makes soil loose and airy. Ginger water helps with yellow leaves and rotten roots. Soaking banana peels... Hmm. I like all that sort of stuff with gardening, just little hints and tips and even health sort of things. Um, this will be... Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's another one that's a bit lengthy, so I won't play that. It goes into... It's Terence Howard, if anyone's heard of him. He talks about a 6,000-year-old secret. Um, it's a little bit lengthy, so I'll just leave that one out. It's more about the... Um, 
the flower of life and um, how he's worked out that it's, I'm pretty sure that's the one that's uh, many people over the years, famous people of China worked it out, the mysteries of it. And he's put it into a three-dimensional form and he reckons he's worked out the key to it. So I'll have to try and get that one up. It's on YouTube too and the internet's not very fast. So I won't go into that one. Um, what's this one? Lee Harvey also done that one. Yep, done that one. I've already done that one before. Just a few things I had here. This is one reason I never... Okay, this one's a little bit about, about Google search. This, um, it's about it being a surveillance. I'm sure we all know that by now. But this is, um, someone just goes quickly into it. Doesn't go for very long at all. When you go to the Google search engine, which, by the way, you shouldn't do. So if you're doing that, don't do it anymore, please. Okay, just use Brave, uh, their browser, use their search engine. They don't, they don't uh, spy on you. Uh, Google search engine is a surveillance platform. From a business perspective, that's all it is. Now, it's true. We think it's a, it's a, it's a nice free index, uh, like a, that's given to us by a kindly librarian, and it's going to lead us to the right information, just like a librarian would. But that's not really what it is. It's a, it's a surveillance platform that is designed to trick you into revealing personal information about yourself, and then that information is monetized. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> I also come across this thing, like I use Brave, but I also use Startpage um, as a sort of a private platform. But um, there's, an, there's another one I found um, last week. It's called Proton, P-R-O-T-O-N VPN. And that's a free version too. So if you'd like a free VPN, just type in Proton VPN download and um, follow the links to there. All right, back to the issues here. Uh, where have we gone here? We go into that, do we? Okay, let's see what else I've got on this little list here. Proton VPN. Techno, try to stay away. Okay, pharmaceutical. Yeah. All right. Try and stay away from pharmaceutical drugs. Natural remedies always work. Now, you've got Blue Vervain, V-E-R-V-A-I-N. It treats insomnia, depression, and anxiety. Cures, it also cures for flu, asthma, pneumonia, and bronchitis. What about Kalawala root? K-A-L-A-W-A-L-L-A, root. Known as the healer of all diseases. Helps with over 60 different diseases, including Alzheimer's, dementia, and cancer, etc. Bantana oil, B-A-N-T-A-N-A. -A -A. It reverses balding and alopecia. Also, there's cordycept mushrooms. Love me mushies. It increases lung capacity. You've also got moringa, seven times more vitamin C than oranges and 15 times more potassium than bananas and it lowers blood sugar level. Very interesting. Very interesting. B 
billionaires are preparing for the end of the world. The rich are about to get a taste of their own medicine. Get ready for the revolution. It's coming. It's time to eat the rich. And I don't know if you heard, but billionaires are splurging on bunkers. People like Beyonce and Jay-Z. Tech billionaires like Mark Zuckerberg. And they're buying up bunkers to hide. Because soon, society is about to collapse. And they created all of this mess going on with the economy. And it's so ridiculous. They think they can buy their way out of everything, even consequences. Take, for example, Mark. He's dropped a whopping $270 million on a secret Hawaiian hideout, complete with a massive underground bunker. And he's not the only one. There are about 700 billionaires in the USA. And the U.S. population is about 330 million people. So good luck hiding from the angry mass of people that's about to explode. Who knows? Maybe you can escape this life, but you will not be able to escape the next. Hell will be waiting for you. <clears throat> the rats are fleeing the ship, are they? The rats are fleeing the ship, oh my. Hmm. The rats are fleeing the ship. Oh, missed that one. Yeah, there's a new robot that um, I was actually wondering if this would be a good investment. I want to do a show if anyone's on the know about it or know anyone that would like to talk about it. I'm, I'm going to put it up for a week so I'll get a good audience for it that can really, you know, participate in some ideas and that. I don't know anyone personally, so I just want to put the word out there. I want to do a, a thing on investments or, or upcoming ideas that you think would make a really good investment financially. Um, I'm trying to, you know, I'm thinking along the lines of, um, you know, uh, certain even bigger companies that you can see really exploding, um, smaller companies, something like this that I think might be something that gave me a bit of a, hmm, this might be interesting as a, as an early investment as it's just starting out. Now these robots, they can make your dinner, they can do your washing and all sorts of crazy stuff. And they're only going for about $36,000. Um, it's called Mobile Aloha, Learning Vinyl Mobile, Manipulating the Lower Cost and Low Body. It's Google's new robot just shocked the entire industry. The It's called the AI Grid, I guess you could call it. Let's have a quick listen to this. It goes for... So we actually have uh, something that is absolutely... Well, this goes for 26. I'm just going to play about four or five minutes of it, if that... Incredible. Some student researchers from Google DeepMind and Stanford University have built something amazing. It's called Mobile Aloha, and it's a really incredible robot that will show us what's to come in the near future. So you can see right here that this is the robot that they created. This is some of the demos that they've showcased on their page. And you can see that this robot here is being used to make a three-course meal. Now, I do want to say that there are many, many things that will be discussed later on in this video because this is a very, very fascinating project that you definitely want to pay attention to because it highlights the dexterity 
and the way in which these mobots move, which is much more accurate than many people had assumed. So this initial demo was posted on Twitter and it did take the internet by storm for very obvious reasons. One of the main reasons that this took the internet by storm was due to the fact that robots currently haven't really been able to do many tasks, especially at this scale in terms of the cheapness where you can where you can actually do a lot of tasks which people think only humans can do. And trust me when I say that a lot of the demos later on in the video only get more intense and more amazing. So let's actually take a look at the team and, and this entire project to see exactly how things work. So this is the team here. We have Zipeng Fu, a Stanford and AI Robotics PhD at Stanford Lab and a student researcher at Google DeepMind. We have Tony Zhao, a PhD student at Stanford and a student researcher at Google DeepMind. And we have Chelsea Finn, CS faculty at Stanford and a research scientist at Google DeepMind. So unfortunately, it's one of those ones that you really need to visualize to comprehend. But I just wanted to give you a taste of that. What's going on in the Antarctic with this hole? What's this hole about, guys? What is going on with the hole? Two minutes, four seconds. You're welcome, Nicole. The Weddell, oh, I missed it. It's the Polonius. Polonius. It's located hundreds of kilometers from the coast. Scientists first saw it in 1974. Back then, the opening was as large as Oregon. But in 1976, the opening closed up seemingly for good. Then in 2016, NASA satellites spotted a small opening. It was the first sighting of the thing in over 40 years. Since then, the opening has grown considerably larger. Now it's large enough to fit Maryland. It's still five times smaller than it was in the 1970s. But the um, appearance is mysterious to a scientist. One expert said it was like someone had punched a hole in the ice. Many questions remain. Didn't, did it exist before the 70s? Will it close up again in, in another 40 years? Time will tell. Is climate change the cause? <laughs> Climate's always changing, guys. Perhaps we'll have the answer before the hole fills in again. What is inside the hole? Here you going, Freedom. Welcome to Strange Dees. Just. Yeah, hi. Just, Welcome, Bobek. <laughs> there you go. Now I can hear you. Ah. Ah. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for um, letting me uh, be back on here. Don't, After a while, don't mind the noise in the background. I'm just pouring some jasmine tea at the moment. Ooh, tea. 
Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, I didn't have uh, didn't have a lot to say. I just uh, thought, let me call in and uh, see what uh, what the old us is up to. Yeah, yeah. I'm just sort of going through some things and um, just little bits and pieces I had have on there. And that first little discussion I brought up was interesting, wasn't it? About the um, out of body experience and the well, yeah, the near death. Have you had or heard of anyone in your life? You know. That you come across that have talked about it or experienced it? Uh, yeah, not, not me personally, but um, my mother had a couple of interesting stories uh, regarding that uh, with her father, my grandfather, and uh, he uh, had an experience uh, before he died, and uh, he tried to tell her of the light that he saw, and he also um, wanted to convey a message to his brother to be less materialistic, and that 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 wasn't the most important thing in life, so uh, he saw something. And um, then my grandmother from my father's side, she also had some sort of experience uh, where she, um, yeah, not long weeks before her death was in the, she saw her husband and her, her son who died younger, so my father who died younger, a young age, and uh, we saw them again, or she saw them again, and... Uh, was all content for a while, so yeah. They, uh, there's all stories uh, come from my mother who, where they, where she was with them physically, and where they were telling her about that. Yeah, excellent. I, I would have loved to have heard um, studies on a different perception of life um, when people have come back from these things. That would be an interesting study as well. I'm sure they've probably done that, but because um, the ones that I have heard here and there that yeah, they do have a different perception on life, more gratitude, less less um, material, like your mum said, you know, those sort of issues and, you know, be a bit kinder to each other and just some, some certain key values that sort of stand out a bit with these near-death experiences. Appreciation's another one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I guess if you see the... But that's with everything, isn't it? Once you gain a higher perspective, you automatically um, try to... Uh, you get a little bit... Uh, more humble and a little bit more understanding. So I guess it's all that. Perhaps and like a near-death experience is just, um, you're just accelerating consciousness really. Like you're suddenly out of the low point of view of perception into a bigger one. And yeah, that makes you automatically a bit different. Yeah, it is a, it is a perception thing. It's sort of like when you get a bit older and the, as they say, the more you know, the more you don't realize that you know when you get less of an ego and less of a, an absolute um, sort of chest out, nose up in the air person or personage because you realise that, you know, maybe you're not right uh, just because you think someone's not and all the years that you might have thought that you were right in something and you find out that you weren't, it makes you a little bit more humble and understanding, I think, with other people's perception or their perspective on sort of ideas, whether it's religion or um, theologies or anything like that, you know. It's that's a sort of a to me it's a bit of a spiritual experience to go through that which I have the last couple of years actually, and it's a, it's a really nice place to be to be honest with you, as much as you don't know as much as you thought you knew you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have the same. I mean, when you're in your twenties, it's all new and exciting, and uh, that's good. That's a good period. And then when you're twenty years down the line, you suddenly can see yourself back a bit, or or the same situations, or you. You have a bit of a backstory, you know. You have like a, 
your book has a few pages now, so it's interesting. And uh, also, I was thinking about um, children, for instance, uh, the importance of their grandparents, because you have your parents' perspective, but then you have your grandparents, and if they learned a bit in life, they, they often deal very different with those children because they also had their children and, and learned from their mistakes. And again, I will have to refer you to this Brian May interview because it's very interesting, actually. He talks about also, um, uh, maybe I'm going to put it up. Um, he also talks about children and, and him being in an old boy school and then the, the horrible effects of that. And he saw the same thing in his son and said, then I understood because now I could see it happening in real life to his son what he would have been through himself. So, um, yeah, that, 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 um, so that brings me back to the point of perspective when you're older, that it's very interesting that you have that for yourself, but also for another. So like on little children, it's also, they feel the difference between their parents and their grandparents. So, you know? so what do you mean by that? What, um, what sort of, what could he see about his child? Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, he, um, so he went to a, an old boy school and he said that was not nice because you become, you know, you have no experience with women. You don't know no. how to talk to them, you know. you And and then his son also went to an old boy school apparently. And then he said, then he could see much more clear the, the effects of, of, you know, of, of that sort of um, going to school without any girls around. Oh, yeah. And uh, I went to one of them too. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, then he realized the damaging effects even more, you know, because, I mean, he has, of course, his own experience. And then when he saw it in his son, he, he could see it clearer, like, ah, yeah, that's really a, a problem. And I was going to say shyness and intimidation could probably, that could probably be a big issue because you're not used to dealing with females and or approaching them for a date or something like that. That could be a big problem, I guess. Yeah. It comes to that. Yeah, yeah. It's just good to be around, you know. You shouldn't be. Um, yeah, everything you separate makes it, yeah, a little bit more harder to to get along. It's like with everything. If you grow up in a with divorced parents and you spend more time with your mother and less with your father, even you might feel a little bit more uneasy around your father. You know, it's like, um, yeah. And yeah, you mentioned also it's just good, you know, it's life. You have to learn to deal with things, not just try to put everything uh, separate. And, and sometimes you need to put a little bit when you, but but not into in the extreme, so to speak, not in the extreme when you're dealing with um, with these kind of cases where you go to school. It's just good to be around each other and learn from each other. I, I have heard quite a few. Um, I don't, I haven't heard a study on it, but just in personal talk and chit chat here and there, that a lot of um, like homosexuals. Have had a um, problem with their fathers, um, whether it be abuse or um, neglect or just living with their mother. And um, I just often wonder sometimes is there a big correlation between that on even both sides, you know, where the daughter might have a big problem with the mother, you know, or growing up with their dad. I wonder if that can play a role in, I don't know how high the statistics would be, but I have seen a trait in that in certain people. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how high it would be, but you know what I mean? Like missing that dad figure and they end up becoming gay or something like that. That's uh, something I've noticed in upbringings. Yeah. Yeah, true. A certain trauma can can mm. give you uh, changes. Maybe to. Yeah, but the thing is, what I learned a little bit, and I don't know enough about it, but um, there's the hormonal system that is a very uh, key factor in a lot of our behavior. So. Uh, yeah. 
um, I think if that gets affected, you get a real big change in your uh, you know, behavior. So, um, yeah, that plays definitely a role. And, and that's where probably trauma comes in. And if the trauma has an effect on the hormonal system, then you automatically also get a bit of a more stranger sexual reaction, I guess. Yeah, I've, oh. I've heard of that trauma. I've heard of even suppressed trauma as a child, traumas that they forget they they put it in the background until hypnosis goes in there and deals with it, you know, and they get all emotional and then it really does help them in the long run because there's a hidden trauma there that they've blocked out, you know. It might be very deep, no doubt, for it, for that to happen. Or they've just completely forgot that it happened when they were a child. And it sort of helps heal them once they realise, ah, this is the reason why, you know. It sort of explains a bit to them, you know. It's interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's always good to uh, to gain a larger understanding of things, and uh, and that's the beauty also of this age. I mean, there's now so much information, which can also be confusing. But um, at least it's um, if you want to, and you pay a little attention and put a little bit of work into it, you can find some really good information. You know, and uh, and and videos help. You know, it's different from reading a book, but. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's fantastic, and then yeah, this this is uh, idea of uh, near death experience like this is also uh, yeah. I like I said, I already have those two stories that I know. Not per- personally, I didn't have any um, body seen or told me personally they had some experience. I did have people told me tell me that they saw things, um, but they were also people who have used kind of um, heavy drugs, you know. <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. Then yeah, I guess yeah, you can yeah, open yeah, some sort. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that's what he was trying to put forth. That was under a, an influence. These weren't even under an influence of anything. They were just, they, they really, they shouldn't have had any memory, even a recollection. That's the weird thing about it. If they have a strong recollection of the experience. Strong recollection of the That's the other. Yeah. I've never heard about the blind. I've, sorry, just putting my headphone on. I've never actually heard about the blind one before. I was fascinated. And I was only talking about that. It might have been with you the other week. And um, there you go. They could actually see color and all that. Mm, yeah, true. Yeah, that is. Uh, you don't hear that too much, you know. That um, that they also have this kind of experiences. Yeah, true. Did you hear that one where yeah, she? Yeah, I mean, it only goes to you. Where she didn't even see black. Isn't that weird? I always thought they just see like a darkness or a black. But how would they explain what black is? Or how would she explain colors? That's the interesting thing. You've never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. True. If you haven't seen light, uh, I mean, if you said you've seen light, like you know that light would be white, so they could say, okay, light's white. And you go, yeah, it was a light colour, but it wasn't that white colour. Something like that. You could, but that, they said that that girl or whatever, she didn't even recognise anything. So I wonder, well, how, how do you put that? Like, I can't comprehend how you can be blind and not see just darkness, you know? Maybe she didn't know how to express that word or something. Yeah, yeah that's. Uh... I have no clue. <laughs> That's really a, a strange one, yeah. I mean, you'd oh. think even if you were blind, I would think that you would, if you put a torch or a light across it, you'd see some sort of a... You'd be like shutting your eyes. You know how you can just put a torch and shut your eyes? I always imagine that as blindness. Maybe I've just perceived it the wrong way. Maybe it's just a different... I must have a conversation with a few blind people and get a better perspective on it and see what they experience from birth, you know? Or have gone blind. Maybe there's different levels of blindness too. That's a possibility. 
yeah so and yeah i mean if you want to use the word you can apply it to a wider range because uh, you know you, you you could say that we are blind sometimes you know like i'm blindsided like you didn't see it coming you know sure. i often have <laughs> at work have my uh i have my uh african buddy there he's working in a I'm always talking to him every day, and he's quite he's quite spiritually smart. But um, we are always discussing things we see happening at work, and then when he doesn't see something, we always say, "I always comes to me and says, have you seen the light?'" So <laughs> meaning, like, have you seen new things? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then sometimes when we didn't see it, and sometimes when I didn't when he didn't see something, and he says to me like, "Yeah, I didn't see good. That's true. I have to look better." <laughs> so it's like a, it's like that. Um, you know that observation skill that we even there you're sometimes blind you know sometimes it's, things are right in front of you and because we're so busy mm -hmm. or you're so used to your uh, environment you don't see them anymore you know true it's yeah, like so I, true. I purposely and i also purposefully try to apply that when i um had a job in a four-star hotel every day i walked there for 30 minutes i walked past the canals here and uh yeah when you live somewhere you get used to it but i try to see it again because it's actually beautiful in the morning you see the sun come up and in the winter it's it's cold sometimes but there's the blue skies and then there's all these little bars and coffee places and then you know how the light shines on the water it's like it's always very beautiful and if you uh sometimes you have to just see again you know even when we already have our vision Mm, it's, it's a bit like when so, you're married and the husband looks in the fridge and he goes, I thought you bought cheese today. Yes, I did. Well, I can't see it. It's there. I can't see it. I'm, she just walks up and doesn't even look. She just puts her hand in and goes, there it is. <laughs> or it's in the cupboard or something, you know. It's like, oh, okay. It's weird, though. Yep. Uh, uh, true. Uh, that, that, yeah. That, that also tells you. And then, but, but physical blindness... I don't know, yeah, that, that maybe there's also different levels to it. You're right, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. It'll be, be interesting if, uh, if I knew someone uh, online that's actually got a son or daughter that's been blind. I'd like to get them on and have a, have a bit of a yarn to them about it. Or even see if there's any studies on it. But I'm sure there would be probably different levels. But to absolutely see, I can't, I would love to have heard the explanation. How do you not see anything? I mean, how do you put that in the terminology of, of nothingness? You'd think a nothingness would be darkness, wouldn't you? Well, I would. Just black. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Unless that's what I'm saying. Unless you, you know how to think. explain black. I mean, how would she explain black? You know. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a. Oof, I have no clue, but uh, it's a good question. Did, did Did you hear about that comet that's coming through? Devil Devil Comet. Yeah. Well, yeah, I saw your posts, but uh, I did. Yeah. I have, oof, I, have, uh, I have never paid much attention to those things, so maybe you can uh, explain better what it's, uh, what the implications of that are. Do you want to have a quick listen for a couple of minutes about it? Yeah, sure. sure. Okay, I've got a little clip about it here, actually. This goes for, this goes, wait, I've got to take it back. This goes for 12 minutes, but I'll just play about four or five minutes of it. Just have a listen to this. I think it was 2007, the last time I passed near Earth. Hear about the devil comet that's headed towards Earth about three times the size of Mount Everest? Oh, yeah, and it's sprouted horns along the way. Kind of like what you see behind me here. It's a little bit different. I'm going to show you the images uh, from amateur astronomers, actually. Great imaging. 
you would think they spent millions of dollars on their equipment, especially when you look at what NASA shares with us and the amount of money that they spent. But anyway, that's a whole other podcast. So I want to share with you the latest information. We're going to look at the trajectories, and we're going to talk about how there's been several mystery comets over the past few years that have appeared and disappeared. One from 2007 in particular that's supposed to make its closest approach this year. Oh, yeah. So buckle up, Buttercup. And also, we want to thank our friends over at Noble Gold Investment. So real quick, you're going to like this. Check this out. This is a beautiful three-ounce silver coin. And notice how it's like three-dimensional. These are collector coins. Oh, wow. And they have a protective plastic case. Do you want one? Of course yeah. you do. Well, Give me one. you can add this to your collection. If you go to Noble Gold Investments and you click the link specific, leakprojectgold.com, give them a call, 1-877-646-5347. Say, hey. Okay, let me move along. Because of its horn-looking points that it developed after it underwent an outburst back in July. It got upset. It's bigger than Mount Everest. It's been recognized by scientists since at least the 1800s. Its real name is the Comet Ponds Brooks, as well as Comet 12P, in honor of the man who discovered it. So this is just a quick rundown on the comet. Then we're going to look at the imaging. Then we're also going to go to JPL's small orbit database, Nanu Nanu. And we're going to look at the orbit currently. And it's supposed to reach its closest point this year. So 12P Pons Brooks, a periodic comet with an orbital period of 71 years. It fits the classical definition of a Halley-type comet. This is a Halley-type comet, folks. It has an orbit between 20 and 200 years. Also, one of the brightest known periodic comets reaching an absolute visual magnitude in its approach to perihelia. Comet Pons Brooks was discovered in the Marcellus Observatory back in July of 1812 by Jean Louis Pons, and then later rediscovered in 1883 by William Robert Brooks. The next perihelion passage is going to be April 21st of this year, and it's going to have its closest approach to Earth being 1.55 astronomical units away, which is approximately 150 million miles away. So it's going to be a long way away, but we're going to be able to see it. And there might be some cool electrical arcing and lightning and it might be a lot of fun and it might cause some opportunities. So the 12P Pons Brooks may be the parent body of the weak December K Draconids. How do you like that? Meteor shower that is active from about November 29th through December 13th. Now, if we look at the history, let's go back before 1812. Comet 12P has been identified as a comet observed between 1385 as well as 1457. In 1385, the operation was very favorable, and the comet was recorded by the Chinese and Ming Shalu, and was also mentioned in some European sources. A comet observed by Paolo dal Pozo Toscanelli in January of 1457, and it was also mentioned in Chinese sources, identified as Comet 12P Pons Brooks. In both operations, the comet had a magnitude of three or brighter, not accounting for possible outbursts. Hello. And it's possible that it was also a comet recorded in Chinese sources back in 245. She's an old girl, isn't she, eh? She goes back a few years. I wonder how they'd know it was the same comet, though. I mean... I guess if you have like a certain cycle, like a 70-year cycle, you know it's coming back. But, yeah, she's going back a bit. I've seen Haley's Comet, actually. That was an interesting one to look at. And, well, we might not ever see that one again once she passes through. Yes, very interesting. I'll go through 
Um, just see what else I've got on here while you're away. Yeah, I've got one I'm going to put up. It's about the um, the Women's Secret Society. It'll be an interesting one, but it goes for quite some time. So you don't you hear a lot about the men's secret societies, but this one's just pretty much a women's secret society. Project U, um, Ronnebergs and Brooks of Silence have been exposed to the world. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go into that. It's a bit gory. Um, all right, this is, um, they jab 20,000 fish per day in Spain. 20,000 fish per day. Oh. I don't understand the Spanish. So I can't really play that. <laughs> 20,000 fish a day. That's a lot of bloody fish to jibby jab. They use some little funny, funky little device there. Oh, you're back, mate. Yeah. <laughs> 20,000 fish. They're just a day. helping the fish. What the hell they jab? It doesn't say yeah. what they're jabbing them with because I don't understand Spanish. <laughs> no. I need an just coming after them. <laughs> That's a lot of jabbing, man. 20... That's all in the name of science. Oh, yeah. But I wonder yeah. what they're jabbing them with. Probably freaking that. Mm. We'll find out after the fact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, why would you be doing that? I mean, come on. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, we know why, because they yeah. want to poison you. But <laughs> pretty much, yeah. I was doing that with a bit of touch. There's no other reason. Yeah, they, a bit of eugenics, you reckon, eh? Yeah, I mean, there's no other reason. I mean, yeah, they can, of course, say <laughs> that it's for uh, protection. Eh? I wonder who's but, yeah. funding it, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, maybe? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, they got to spread their money eh, somewhere, eh? Do you know they what could I'm also like, give it to me, but yeah. I can't get with these guys, you know, that are over, say, 60, for instance, and that. It's like, why, why wouldn't you just buy a yacht, you know, like Soros, he's dead now, but, you know, all these sort of entrepreneurs and all that, Thank you know, me. that really, you know, um, want to change the world, like this anal swab dude and all that, you know. I mean, how many more years has he really got left to live for, for instance? Why on earth would you be bothering pushing a jabs? yeah. Yeah, Klaus. Yeah, why at that age would you even be bothered? I mean, just get a yacht and enjoy your last couple of years on Earth. You know, I just I can't comprehend. Can you ever comprehend that? You know, like even the the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, with their they're always scheming up more things, and they're in their eighties, nineties, and it's just like when's enough enough with these people? It's it just blows my mind. I just can't comprehend mm. it. You know, if I had couple of million dollars i'd be quite happy to go settle you know on a boat or something and just chill out and you know enjoy life not worrying about killing everyone yeah, you and will. getting more money out of people we will but uh, we're not uh, psychopathic scumbags that's why yeah. <laughs> yeah. i mean um maybe they aren't even real maybe they are already robots who knows you know mm. you know that would explain a lot you know they have uh, but yeah, you're true. I mean, why would they still go on? But Trump is almost getting 80 years old. So he's going for a second term, like like he's 25. Like, <laughs> come on, man. But how have they still got the energy to do it? I I don't even have the energy to do it. <laughs> I don't know. They must be on some good drugs, man. Yeah, for sure. Might be the adrenaline. I mean, if you're like standing there. going a bit longer in there, yeah. Their energy levels. But I have to say, he is great for for comedy. If you want to watch some good comedy, watch your Trump speech, man. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. He's looking pretty Using good for his age. Using all the good... He's looking pretty good for his age, yeah. though. 80. Yeah. Better than Biden. Yeah. Oh, well, Joe is falling yeah. to pieces. 
He's been falling to pieces for a long time. I want to know where his double chin come from. He just popped out the last year, I think. All of a sudden, he's got these two testicles hanging off the bottom of his chin. He's a weird Maybe character. they put a cheaper copy on. <laughs> Maybe they've done something wrong with his little mask that they put over his head. Because I reckon the guy died, actually, a couple of yeah. years ago in this gun salute. They, they reckon there's a tie with him. Oh, I mean, look, most of them have doubles anyway. You know, I mean, he's a bumbling fool. Like, yeah. when he debated, I think it was Trump, he was very coherent, talkative, but just about everywhere else you see him, he's like, he's just talking rubbish and just stupid jabberish, and it's really bizarre. Unless they got a certain drug that just yeah. kicks him in. I don't know. Uh, he should be in a nursing home. They're in jail for sniffing all the girls yeah, out. I mean, Damn, I miss Chris Wilson. He had a whole bit about this, that, uh, that they were all doubles and he would go on for it for 20 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was good entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a bit on the Jewish presidents. <laughs> he had a whole bit like they were uh, all Jewish presidents, they were, like they were all Jewish or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. All related back to the tribe, yeah. That, what, what were they all related back to, except for, I think, two? Um, it was a certain king, wasn't it? King, uh, his name. It was a certain person mm. oh, back yeah, in history that they're all related to. Even Obama is part of that bloodline. Yeah. I can't remember his name now. Yeah, I also don't know. If you tell me, I probably can yeah. remember. But... The young girl put it together, too. I'm sure many others have. She came out with it about two, two or three years ago about showing you the bloodlines, how they're all connected. And it's like keep it in the family, isn't it, really, to them? Yeah, keep it in the family. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, well, club. makes sense a bit, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's easier, you know, you grow up with each other, you know each other well, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not, uh, not saying you should go to bed with your sister, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, just just generally, generally, if if you're gonna make money in the world, you better spend it on yourself and your family and maybe your community. But certainly not on taxes and the and the government and big companies. Yeah, that's right. Hey, what's what's going on with this Charles thing with um, one of his sons? Have you heard anything about that? No, I haven't actually. Well, I think he's what passing, have you heard? I think he's passing on the what do you call it, the throne or something. To one of them, um, no, ah. it was Henry or William. There's something going on about that lately. I just haven't looked into it. I think he's already see, maybe in my leaving. info sources it will come up. He's already jumping ship. Doesn't want the responsibility. Hmm. He was better in the shadows, huh? <laughs> Must be, yeah. He just doesn't want the limelight or something. He looked funny. He looked like he was the queen. There was a picture of him with his little crown on. I was saying it was just hilarious. I thought it was the Queen at first and looked closer. It's bloody him. Bloody unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I still much difference behind closed doors with these people, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. And we don't, I don't know what Camilla was up to in the bedroom, but she must have been doing something all right because she's got a head like a freaking horse, that thing. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear that Diana was going to no, expose you before they she got bumped off? She used to talk about them. You yeah. Know, like pretty, pretty mm. no good, you know, in that little environment of theirs. Yeah, that's another one of those conspiracies. You wonder, like, yeah, it's, it would make sense if you, you know, get 
killed and, and you know disposed of the way they did with her. But uh, yeah, you would also think at that level they wouldn't make those kind of mistakes. But on the other hand, it can only show they're human if you you know also with all your intelligence, with all your control, you still make mistakes. You know, not with our lizards. Like uh, our lizards. <laughs> <laughs> the reptilians. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, you would suppose they. Uh, that yeah, that connection might also be real. I don't know. You know, this, the whole shape shifting uh, idea where David Icke make, came up with. I don't know. I just I, if I just what just it. I don't know. I, I find many. I mean, many of those things interesting, but the real explanation is still. I think we still don't have it on many levels. Hmm. Yeah. What about that one that just came up in Florida about the um. The entities that were walking around nine or ten foot tall. Did you hear about that one? No, I haven't. <laughs> God, yeah. I'm behind on everything. Yeah, they reckon that um, these entities were walking around, but I've done a bit more study. It was just actually the photo they had, pretty much the only one they had, was actually three people walking up the steps, and it uh, looked like it was a big person. But um, there was a bit of a riot going on there <laughs> with these young fellas out in the street, and they're all little fireworks in the shops and all sorts of crazy stuff and we just sent oh man a, a load of police out there and everyone they shut down the airport or something i don't know if that was a coincidence <clears throat> at the time but um, a lot of people have been talking about that but um yeah you know i just looked a bit more into it and it seems to be a bit, bit blown out of you know oddly enough on the first of january a mysterious <laughs> event unfolded at bayfront marketplace when locals witnessed a significant influx of law enforcement officers. Photographs and videos showed that there were over 30 police cars, along with black helicopters seen throughout the area. However, no one seems to know what happened. Posts on social media show people running away from the area saying that a humanoid creature was spotted, while others said that a strange creature was seen roaming through the mall. <laughs> As of right now, the official explanation that has been given is that the incident seemingly originated from a gathering of adolescents letting off fireworks. Yeah, it was interesting. They actually, they reckon there were reports of that, but, you know, I know a guy that was actually there, and he reckoned it was pretty much just that the kids went right and smashing each other up out in the streets. And, yeah, things went a little bit crazy, you know. Mm. Mm. Did, did you know that um, a lot of people... Yeah, well... Yep, Ever. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, do, I think if... If the more the most uh, logic reason is probably the correct reason, I suppose. Mm. I'd say more than likely. Did you know that the um, the ones who got the jibby jab are now classed as um, pretty much cattle, second-hand citizens? <laughs> Have a listen to this. Ah. this. This is what they're classed as now. Have a listen to this. In the United States, the Supreme Court has ruled that vaccinated people worldwide are products. They are now patented goods. According to U.S. law, which can be verified, people who have been vaccinated no longer qualify as humans, and therefore they can no longer be categorized as human beings. In essence, this means that those vaccinated are no longer subject to national or international law. Do you want to just put yourself on mute while I play it, mate? It only goes for about a minute and a half more. I can just hear an echo oh, coming yeah. back through. Oh, no worries. Yeah, to see if that's, if that's any better. Yeah. yeah, I can't hear me now. Yeah, just see how this goes. Since 2013, 
all people vaccinated with genetically modified mRNAs are legally transhuman and legally identified as transhuman, then uh, they no longer enjoy any human or other rights of a state. This applies worldwide because GenPoint technology patents are under U.S. jurisdiction and law where they were registered. So, yes, this exists, but it is yet another form of dividing all of us from each other. And um, I certainly address all people. I address the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And uh, we're all in this together. And uh, our hope is that we can retain humanity uh, in whatever way we can as this huge uh, onslaught uh, that we were not prepared for. We kept believing in the mainstream media, which convinced us that it was in far in the future, when really it was being set up all around us. For the last 20 to 25 years, the geoengineering piece has been a huge part of this setup. And it's been going on and We've all believed the mainstream media account that it's about weather, it's about climate change, it's about global warming, it's about carbons, and none of it was true. It is entirely about preparing for a transhumanist race. You are not human. <laughs> wow. Straight in your face. Your patent. Patting like a bit of fruit. Yeah, well, you weren't uh, like a drug. You weren't much of a human anyway. Huh? So, all the GMA foods, yeah. everything patented, I guess. Yeah, so you've been changed as under their thing. It's like they've, yeah, like she said, you know, isn't that weird? I think, I think a lot of these elites yeah, are a little bit yeah. crazy. I mean. <laughs> But but how much of a human were you with your you know with your passport and your you know your digital number and security number and whatever you were already much of a number yeah yeah as soon as you're born with your little birth certificate aren't you yeah pretty much owned and signed yeah. sealed and delivered but there is things which you can do against it and it's too bad I must listen back to that show when I had this British guy on who was actually applying that in England you know and <laughs> and they couldn't get him you know they, they they wanted to give him a fine and he was explaining in my show that uh, they put a wheel clam on his car and and then he started arguing with them saying no I'm that's not me I'm uh, I'm not that person and uh, he right. kept uh, edits and uh, then they had to call the car company or whatever the ones who were towing him and then in the end uh, you have to let him go. Yep. <laughs> I, just, I just got someone at the door. I'll be back in a second. If you can just. All right. So uh, I'll fill up uh, the blank. Yeah, sure. So um, I was just saying that there is something you can do because uh, basically you're not that entity that they put in. Um, you're not your social security number. You know, you're not. You're not your passport. You know, that's basically a, a business contract. So. There is ways to uh, address that and tell them basically that you're, that, you're, that it's not you in a legalistic manner. And um, then they can touch you. The only thing is, of course, if you live in a country like, for instance, the Netherlands or other places where, where all these things are also, uh, where you also have the benefits of the system, like welfare and these kind of things, 
um, that also applies in that case then. So if you don't say I'm not that legal entity on my passport, you also have no right to the benefits and those kind of things. So that's, um, that might be, that might be a bit tricky. Yeah. yeah. But on the other yeah, hand, yeah. yeah. You know, you're, you're basically part of the system, you know, whatever the system is, uh, you know, you're part of it through your social security number and, 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 and all that. And, and now they're just transferring it to digital. So now we're all going to be become digital, which has, of course, its benefits. But also at my work, you know, most of the people, they pay with their phone, you know. Only a very tiny group um, pays cash anymore. It's uh, yeah, it's quite concerning. And with the ease that it goes, like, yeah, people have a busy life. They have three kids. Uh, they have to work. They have the weekends. And then you go out and, yeah, you don't want to bother and you just pay with your phone and be done with it. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on how far you want to go with all this sort of sovereign sort of issues. And I know I've seen it myself where if you're cluey enough, you can just about get out of anything in the car. I mean, there's a difference between what is it like travel and um, commerce. Um, you're just traveling, you know, there shouldn't be anything you have to pay for traveling. You know, you're going from A to B, you're not making any money, so you're not under commerce laws. There's a lot of tricky things. Same with your licensing capital letters, you know. Um, this, if I give, if I show you this, this is fraudulent, and if you accept it, it's um, considered fraud because that's not actually me. That's a corporation. Um, you know, there's sort of little little terminologies you can use the right way that can <clears throat> get you out of certain things. If you know what you're talking about, that is. I can't articulate it properly to actually do that, and I just rather go whatever you know. If I'm speeding, I've done done the wrong thing. Yeah, I just pay the fine. You know, simple as that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, true, but yeah. So there is there is a a way to to uh, you know deal with it, but yeah, you have to indeed know how it how it works and uh, and what to say and uh, yeah, maybe that should be a good job for someone, someone who's really good at it, and then you know helping others. Maybe you charge a bit because you gotta live, but you know it'll be great. So you have like a street lawyer. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> you yeah, get into much. you get into trouble with the law, and then there's this guy on the side of the road. So you call him in. He helps you out. <laughs> you give him a little money, yeah. <laughs> and the whole case is solved. <laughs> well, I even heard even in your car that they can't actually um, um, look in your car unless, I guess, you give them permission. You're silly enough to do that, but I think they need an actual warrant like they do for your home, you know. So when someone pulls you over and the cop says, I can smell something, I'm going to search your car, well, apparently they can't really do that because it's... Um, it's not, um, they need an actual search warrant to do that. Then I, of course, it works different in different countries, you know. Um, someone pulled someone over and, and apparently that's another law as well over here. You know, they're not supposed to just pull you over for a breath test or unless you're breaking or under suspicion of doing something like that's the only reason they've got really anything to pull you over, you know. So that's another interesting thing as well. Yeah, there's all these different little yeah, things. True. Yeah, yeah. living like that in a sovereign sort of position of life and under maritime laws of land, law of the land and all these other aspects, scarecrow and goes into a lot of different things. But I really admire people that can articulate it properly when they're pulled over and they record it and they just end up driving off with no fine or anything. It's interesting how they do that. Yeah, true. That's a whole skill, I mean, but you have to really understand what you're talking about and be able to relay it. Yeah, true. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're going to cut me off in a couple uh, of minutes too. 
Oh, all right. Getting that close. I couldn't believe it's only two hours. Wow, that went quick. <laughs> Time flies. When you fire up another one. Oh. I'm not, mate. It's too. Yes, yeah, after two o'clock in the morning, I'm, I've got to get up early actually and do some things t- today. So, all right. Yeah, that is the end of the road for me. What about you? Oh, anyway, I just um, t- tell people about your show that uh, might not have heard you. What, you know, your name oh, sure, and yeah. um, what it's called and when you're usually on, a couple of little bits like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, usually on here, um, I am the Freedom Warrior and I do, uh, often I do the political show, uh, The World Gone Mad. That is uh, the main show, which always has uh, the best uh, downloads. And then uh, I do some other things, sometimes a talk show, sometimes I'm now doing a series on mushrooms. So I put that out there and and sometimes I come across interesting interviews or something and I post that. So I think I might post the Brian May interview because I think it was really interesting actually. There was I guess some nice insights in psych- psychological insights that I think are helpful. So yeah, that is basically it. So um, mainly so mainly is uh, actually the world gone mad. That's the main show. And then some various things around it once in a while. Do you have any other shows that you usually listen to or go into? Do you go into any other rooms or do you listen to anything in your downloads in particular? Uh, not so much on Podbean these days, except you then. And um, um, Big Chief, I sometimes catch him. I like him. He's doing some nice uh, shows. But uh, yeah, I have I have time. I'm not going to make excuses that I don't have any time. But usually I do other things with my time, like... Um, checking interviews or uh, so I find a lot of things on uh, Spotify where I listen to certain podcasts sometimes but but uh, that's usually revolves around music there's music a couple of music things that I like but I'm popping at the moment so not not really other than you and uh, Nick Chief sometimes yeah so that's pretty much it yeah I yeah. have no uh, no one to uh, to uh, <laughs> promote at the moment <laughs> Yeah, no worries. Yeah, just wanted to keep you know people that might not have come across you before. Go check him out, guys. I'm usually in there in his room as much as I I'm awake or I can. If I'm awake, I'm usually in there. Isn't that right, man? Usually, yeah, just yeah, yeah. Down sure. the yeah that's good to somewhere or up with him. Good supporter. Yeah, yeah, it makes a difference. It's always good, you know. Yeah, you had a bit of a yarn tonight, yeah. didn't we? On there. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, yeah. I can go on for another two hours, but yeah. I mean, Gotta have the time for it, right? So uh, Yeah, well that's right. Are you going on again today, like or in the next hour or two? Yeah, I think I'm gonna post that Brian May interview. It was but it was about an hour, I think less than an hour. But it was yeah, like I said, that's an intro that's a that's a good one. Yeah. Oh, okay. It'll, it'll be about less than an hour you're going on. Yeah, I'm gonna Excellent. Yeah, if I'm still awake, then, I'll just I'll listen in the background while I'm sleeping. Yeah, going to sleep. Yeah, it's a nice one. It's a nice. It's just a nice conversation, actually. So, uh, yeah. And then there's some music at the end, some guitar, guitar playing. Nice, nice. Yeah, and thanks for introducing me. I think I have actually heard him before, but I forgot his name. That um, gentleman at the beginning. Yeah, that was very interesting. I like all that sort of stuff. But I'm pretty sure I've heard him on another presentation um, uh, a while ago. But it was a bit longer than that one. It was quite. Actually, I think I might have even published it if he's the same gentleman. But there's there's a couple out there that go into that. Um, but I'm pretty sure it was him by the sounds of him. Once I heard his voice, I thought, ah, oh, I've heard this guy before. Yeah. 
But anyway, like I said a couple of times, I have got his book, so just message me or go in the comments on Podbeam and I'll work out a way to probably get it to you on PDF. Um, been an interesting read, no doubt about it. But there's many, many other stories out there. And the other fascinating one's reincarnation, that I've put out a couple of shows about that. That's another fascinating subject when it comes to those sort of things as well. All the different stories about that and, um, yeah, very interesting. All right, mate. Well, um, I, I guess I'd better get ready for it to shut down. So I'll just play a little song on the way out and um, while, it, while it's heading out. Because I can't just right. end it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll most well let it go to the end and just play um, a song on the way out. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. This I'll publish this in about uh, 10 minutes. We've got two-minute countdown now. So thanks for joining me again, Freedom, and towards the end there. And um, hope he's got something out of the, that um, very beginning about, um, yeah, near-death experiences. Fascinating stuff. All right. You all take care, and I'll catch us on the next episode of strange days there is no doubt about that spend all your time with that second chance or break that would make it okay it's always some reason feel not good and it's hard at the end of the day. I need some distraction. All the memories seep through my veins. It may be aching or a weightless Find some peace tonight. In the arms of the angel, I will wait for you from this dark.